0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Kid Men Podcast. It is time for the final installment of A Crash Course in Storytelling. So far, we've talked about story structure, we've talked about creating original characters, and today we present to you the third part in A Crash Course in Storytelling. So let's not talk about it anymore. Let's get to it. Here we go. This is it. This is the last one. You guys made it. We did it. The third one in the... uh... In the trilogy, <laughs> the epic trilogy of a crash course in screenwriting. All right, so we're going to wrap it up today, and I think um, I think what's the be- I think the best way to start is to talk about what we've learned so far. I think it's important to understand that we. I would never uh, assume that we're going to learn everything that we need to know about screenwriting or scriptwriting in three workshops. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it takes a lifetime to get good at this craft. Um, But I think this is a good way to get you guys started. And that was my goal. So hopefully these building blocks are are, uh, what you can begin to build your script writing career and whether you want to do it, you know, for a long time or what these are the building blocks that'll help you out. And so let's do a little bit of a recap. How about that? Today we're talking about script writing. So uh, the first week we talked about uh, story structure We learned this, and we recapped this last week. Uh, Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, Obviously, that is very elementary, but when you begin to expand on that, you realize how, uh, you know, building block-ish it is and how it really helps. At least it helps me to really understand, like, Uh, what we're, uh, where we're working from, where our ground is. Uh, the beginning includes the exposition and the inciting incident. That's your first point of tension. The middle, uh, is your most interesting part. It's where the most action happens, progressive complication, your crisis and your climax. That's your decision point. That's when your character has to make a decision. And then the climax where your character has to make an action, has to do something, your resolution and your moral. That's you know the very end of your film or story or television show. Then uh, from that, we expand into our story spine. The beginning includes once upon a time and every day until one day, until one day is our inciting incident. And then the middle, and because of that, And because of that, and because of that, and because of that, and to infinity, until finally, and then ever since that day, until finally, that's your crisis and your climax moment, and ever since that day, how has the character been, how have they changed, the moral of the story is, that's extremely helpful for us, because that's what we're dealing with, themes, morals, scriptures, ideas to help kids overcome sin. Uh, Then last week, we talked about uh, the two components of a character, get your outer character, uh, what they look like on the outside, talked about Woody and Ariel and uh, Judy Hopps, Beast, what they look like on the outside, and then your inner character. And this is the takeaway point for the inner character that we must remember. Next slide. A character's inner character isn't just what they like, but it's that thing that they value so highly that if they lost it, they would be lost, Right. We talked about that uh, within our own lives. Uh, It's their identity. Um, That's the thing that um, helps drive every decision that they are making. Then to kind of wrap it all up, uh, this helps give us a framework. This quote helps give us a framework uh, to remember the building blocks of a great story. This is a quote from John Lasseter. I always believed that in order to make a really great animated film, you needed to do Three things. Tell a compelling story that keeps people on the edge of their seat. Talked about that the first week. Populate that story with really memorable and appealing characters. And put that compelling story and those memorable characters in a believable world. If you can do those three things really well, then the audience will be swept away and totally entertained. If it works for those films, it can work for our stories. This is what we can consistently go back to and remember. These are the things that are going to help make a great story. Believable world, That's uh, a lot of that's going to come into play with our script writing. So that's what we're talking about today. Now, here's the thing. Let's say that you've uh, been listening to everything that I've said over the last two weeks and you're like, that all sounds great on paper. I don't necessarily know if I believe it uh, for whatever reason you have. Or, or maybe you would say that would work for stories. But, Adam, what you're talking about with some of the puppetry, I, you know, I got to be honest. I don't really think that's relevant anymore, I, I, especially when it comes to puppetry. I've heard that time and time again. You know, puppetry is dead. So, you know, we're not doing it anymore. It's an old tool. It doesn't really work anymore. That's fine, Um, but here's my argument. This thing, this picture. This picture right here is the Hollywood Bowl, okay? The Hollywood Bowl is obviously in Hollywood, California. It's an outdoor amphitheater. Uh, It seats, I wrote down some stats here. uh, It was built in 1921. It has a capacity, a seating capacity of over 17,000. At one one point, if you know, you guys are pretty young, so uh, you might not know who this guy is, but at one point, the cone in the back was, um, uh, it was different. It was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, who's obviously one of the most famous um, uh, designers uh, ever in, in U.S. history. Uh, it, you know, so many people have performed at the Hollywood Bowl. You got the Beatles. I mean, that could be enough. But you got Michael Jackson, Radiohead. uh Madonna, Madonna, Elton John, uh, even, I mean, it's still open. Uh, you got Chance the Rapper, Kingsley on, Whitney Houston, Radiohead, I mean, the list goes on. Okay, so you get the idea that it's just like, it's a really important venue, and I think that's really cool. But I also think maybe cooler than those guys is the, the folks who performed this weekend, and I brought you a little video, so let's play it. You know, uh, even though the Hollywood Bowl is a, it's a really big place, Thanks to all of you, it's starting to feel like home. You know, a place where people and frogs and pigs and bears come together to share a a special connection. So, uh, I'd like to do a song that was written by our friends Kenny Asher and Paul Williams. And, uh, you know, if you know it, you can uh, sing along, if you like. Okay, here we go. Why are there so many songs about rainbows And what's on the other side Rainbows are a vision. choose to believe it, I know they're on the way and see. we wow. I think whether you like the Muppets or not, all that communicates is the power that storytelling has. I mean, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, who created the majority of these characters at the very beginning, especially the important ones, or not the important ones, the, the, the main ones, Kermit, Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, um, and then a lot of the characters with Sesame Street. I mean, uh, they obviously don't do them anymore. Frank Oz doesn't do the Muppets anymore. And Jim Henson hasn't been alive for 27 years. And they had three shows in the Hollywood Bowl this weekend. There's power in storytelling. And so it's easy to say, though, okay, great, Adam, I watched those characters, and those are icons, uh, all those characters I just mentioned. What does that have to do with me? I think what's important to understand is what we are learning when it comes to storytelling and character development are the same principles that they used when they created those characters back then. It's story structure, character development, and writing. And while our stage will be smaller, I mean, potentially, who knows what? God could do with the stories with the characters that we're creating. While our stage could potentially be smaller, we can have the same lasting impact that these guys had. I mean, Cameron just said it a, a second ago. He mentioned Eugene, which Pastor George created, you know, decades ago, and we're still talking about him to this day. There's still power in the stories that we've learned from him. I grew up on Gospel Bill. I still remember those things. And I think if it connects with one person, then you've won. All right. So with all that. With everything that we've learned, we have to realize that it's simply taking those tools that we've learned and using them to tell great stories and to write great scripts. So with all that, Adam, we've done all of our previous work. How do we write a script? All right, let's talk about that. Here's the thing. Right out of the gate, I think it's important to look at this quote. Neil Gaiman, who wrote Coraline, all right, maybe you've seen the film, He said this, this is how you do it. This is how you write a script. We finally got into it. This is how you write a script. You sit down at the keyboard, and you put one word after another until it's done, and it's that easy. I did leave one part out, and that hard. Why is it so hard? This is why it's so hard. He goes on, being a writer is a very peculiar sort of a job. It's always you versus a blank sheet of paper or a blank screen. And quite often, the blank piece of paper wins. Imagine the scene. You are at work. You're in a meeting. Everybody is uh, uh, talking about potentially a new sketch that you want to write. Or come up with. Everyone comes up kind of together. Maybe it happens organically, naturally. You kind of all come together and you, you come up with this really funny thing. And you're all laughing and you're talking about uh, what this could be like. And they're like, oh, this is great. All right, Cameron, you go write it. And shut the door and everyone's laughter and energy has left. And you sit down and you're like, oh, crap. Now I have to do the hard work of actually writing this thing. All right. There's only one way you're going to lose. And that's if you do nothing. The paper wins. The screen wins when you do nothing. I get it, guys. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be uh, at the desk during the day. I know what it's like to be at the desk at night when everybody's gone home, and you're sitting there, and you're looking at your computer, and you're thinking, what did everybody say? And you start to write, and your first line is crap, and you're like, that doesn't even sound funny. What was it we were talking about? Maybe you remember what you talked about, but as you're getting into it, you're just like, this sucks. This is hard. I don't... Why did we like this idea in the first place? That's a hard place to be. That's what that's not what Neil Gaiman's talking about. Is doing the hard work. I'll tell you how you win. If the paper wins when you do nothing, then the paper loses when you get your butt in the seat and and write. All right, people who how do I say it? People who simply. The guys that never get an idea onto the stage are the guys who have a great idea but aren't willing to do the hard work. That's what separates us as writers versus people who will never perform anything or who will never see their work performed. Um, It's simply the hard work because people think, going off on a tangent here, but people think that all of the hard work is in the ideas or that all the creativity is in the ideas or that people who have the ideas are, you know, uh, that, that they're, that, that, that's the, I'm searching for the word here that, that, that's the, that's the magic is those great ideas. And I say, there is no magic uh, and that, that isn't, there's no magic in that. Anybody can have a, have a great idea, um, That's not difficult. The the difficult part is actually hashing it out. And so that's what we're talking about here. Sitting down with your butt, distraction-free. How does the paper win? The paper wins whenever you sit down to your computer and Facebook is open. It's whenever YouTube is open. It's whenever you uh, are playing a game. Look, I don't have this in my notes, but if you want to be a good writer, delete every game on your phone. Because I cannot tell you how many times I have lost... Super precious time to writing because I start playing Angry Birds. It's not even a joke. Like, I'm going to play one round, it'll get me going. It doesn't happen, people. You'll keep playing, you'll keep playing, you'll do everything you can to not write. So, with that, since we've already got the tools to write, how do we do it? The best way I can think to tell you how to write, uh, and it's funny, I was thinking... Um, uh, as I was writing this, I was thinking, okay, if I if I told someone how to write, what would I say? I would just say, "Well, you just freaking write." I don't know. You just freaking write it. And I thought that's a terrible answer. I can't tell anybody. That is not going to help anybody. And I thought, you know what? Though there is a part of it that does that does make sense, and that is the part of just sit sit your butt down and write. But the, but there's another part of it to um, explaining to you how I do it. That's the that's the best way I can do it because I've you know I've read books. I've talked to people who write. I've Watch loads of documentaries or whatever, all I can do is tell you how I do it. All right, so we're going to go through kind of a step by step process on how I write. And, um, you know, it worked in Kids on the Move. Hopefully, it'll work in Kids on the Move. So, here we go. Number one, here's how, here's what I do I generate an idea and a premise. All right, so uh, from the get go, uh, why you've been asked to work on, well, I'll, I'll do it like this. You, you, why you've been asked to write something, but we're going to look at uh, if everybody can remember Pete's uh, sled. From the beginning, you've got to focus on what you know all right so what do you know well, it's different than in, in uh, the situation you're in is different than the entertainment world because often your script in the entertainment world will begin with uh, you know, it begins with the premise with you know what if what if uh what if toys We're alive every time the adults left. Okay, some sort of idea like that. We're a little different because we're trying to teach something. Okay, so that's important to note. So, what is something that I know? Well, when I was working on Pete's sled, one of the things that I knew was I wanted to talk to kids about stealing. I wanted to kind of hit the idea that look, you might think you know what stealing is, but the truth is, just because no one is around the toy doesn't mean you have the right to take it. That's what I wanted to communicate. Okay, so I know the theme. Okay, great. So. That's good. That's pretty easy for us and kids on the move. You know, we know uh, we want to talk about whatever it is Cameron tells us that we're going to talk about, whatever the curriculum team decides. That's great. Okay, what else do I know? I know what characters I have available. I know what characters maybe I want to use. I knew that I wanted to that I've got the Pete and Penelope gang at my disposal. I knew that Pete would probably be a good time for him to shine, or I knew that I wanted to ride a short with him, and I thought that. Stealing that sort of thing would go really well with Pete, and so I thought I can hash that out. So you know, maybe you know for kids on the move, maybe you know one of your characters is available, Watson or Bongo, something like that. When I was helping you guys work on the last round of shorts with Bongo, honestly, I was just looking for who is here that does a puppet. What what voices do we have available? What what characters do I know that I can write for? Um, so those are the couple of things that I know. Um, I know my character's insecurities. So I got Pete here. What's Pete's insecurity? Pete is afraid of losing out on fun. He doesn't want to miss fun. All right. It, very similar to Watson. Watson wants, wants to have a lot of fun. Um, Bongo's insecurities are uh, that people wouldn't respect him or that he wouldn't be taken seriously as, you know, the, the, the um, most powerful monkey in the world. Something like that. Okay, pizza insecurity is fun. Losing fun. All right, great. That's my starting point. I know the theme. I know the character. Here we go. So from there, what am I doing? I'm playing the what if game. And this is fun. Honestly, for me, the most fun is this moment. Not as much the writing. I do love writing. But more than I love writing, I love having written. (laughs) I love watching my work afterwards, I don't as much enjoy like being in the middle of it. I've heard Aaron Sorkin, my favorite writer, talk about what he loves doing, sitting down in the hotel room, writing out the dialogue, everything that's in the script. That's not my favorite part. I do enjoy it, but it's not my favorite part. My favorite part is this part, just blue sky, brainstorming. Okay, so I know my theme is, uh, is um, I think I actually wrote it down, that... Just because just because nobody's playing with it doesn't mean it's it's yours. Okay, that's stealing. That's my theme, and I know that I want to use Pete. Okay, so just begin a brainstorm. Might do this by myself. Might do it with somebody else. What if I haven't thought these through by any means? But um, you know, what if uh, what if what if someone steals something from Pete? Okay, so what if what if uh, what if Pete has an invention? And it's stolen. All right, I'm writing this on the board. All right, so just gonna do a little box here. So what if Pete's invention is stolen? Okay. What if um, what if Pete likes somebody else's invention, and it's and he steals it? Just outright steals it. Uh, okay. What if? Let's think a little bit bigger here. What? Is, let's see. We want to talk. I'm just thinking here, uh, uh, Pete. Okay. So I want to teach. I want to teach everybody that if you see something laying around and it's not yours, it's not cool to just grab it and take it. Okay. So let's say that Pete. Uh, oh, maybe somebody does it to Pete. Okay. So maybe. Okay. So maybe Pete has a, a new toy and. Little Fox, his buddy, stops by, sees it, and claims it. Okay, maybe maybe the same sort of thing happens, but we have a character on Pete and Penelope named Ralphie who is mean, mean, mean. Maybe he takes it, okay? A couple of different things, okay? And then, obviously, what's one that we can come up with? What if Pete sees something and he takes it, all right? So what if Pete, that makes sense. What if Pete sees, what's something that would be a lot of fun? a sled. He sees it and he takes it. Great. Okay. If he takes it, then I've got to come up with, well, that's wrong. I want to teach kids that that's wrong. That's wrong for Pete to take something. What's the response going to be? Okay. This isn't because of that, people. So Pete takes a sled and then he's running around with it. Obviously, it's not his. Somebody comes along and says, hey, Pete, where'd you get that sled? Because of that, he's got to come up with an answer. See what I'm doing here? So it's just, what if? Blue skying it, this is a fun part for me. It's more fun if you kind of talk it out with somebody else. I think I talked this out with my friend Gary. So um, from there, and this is really beneficial for those of you who work for or with Cameron here, uh, from there, you've got to come up with a premise, okay? This is your one sentence for your whole story. Your whole story, your premise is your whole story in one sentence, okay? In the entertainment world... Uh, they call us a log line you know i could just make up one myself what if uh what if what if there was a you know um, what if there was a billionaire who you know lived within an evil city and a wicked city and and wanted to fight injustice and did so as a masked vigilante you'd be like okay well that's batman you know what if uh you know back to oh what if what if what if uh what if a, f- a fish who had always been taught to stay away from danger, or not explore, or not go on an adventure his whole life was accidentally was accidentally captured and taken to uh, Sydney in a dentist office? You know, we're talking about Nemo. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying? There's a couple things that are happening here. One, I'm beginning to understand uh, what my story could be, but I'm also beginning to understand how I could pitch it and it could be interesting to somebody else. So then I say, uh, let's just say I'm pitching. Uh, my Pete and Penelope Short to Cameron, I'm saying, okay, what about this? What about this, Cameron? What if Pete finds a sled? You know, Pete loves to have fun. What if he finds a sled and then he, um, it's not his, but, but he wants to have fun with it. So he takes it and then I come in and I say, hey, Pete, where'd you get that sled? What would happen then? He'd have to have a response. Okay. So that's my premise. I think I've got it here. What if Pete found a sled, he grabbed it and had to answer for why he had it? What would happen? Well, now we're now we're going now we're getting somewhere now we've moved from just a theme and maybe a character to kind of an idea to actually having a premise. All right, um, what if uh, uh, Wyatt had his script that they shot last night? What if um, what if uh, Watson uh, was not supposed to go into old man? What's the guy's name? Old man Jenkins' yard, but he sees something that just, like, catches his eye. He ends up in it, and he... Well, what would happen if his parents find found out? Something like that, okay? Um, that's kind of what we're working out here. Step number one, finding your idea and finding your premise, all right? Now, so we move on. Okay. Oh, so uh, when we look at that, we are reminded how this works um, by the characters that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And I'm pretty excited to talk about this this week because... I have been, I, I was listening to myself or thinking back to what I talked about last week, and I thought, man, some of this I'm, I don't know if I totally agree with, and uh, I realized I don't, and I'll tell you why here in a second. Okay, so premises, to, to prove that this works, you got Woody, what if a top toy, what if an, what if he was top toy, and another toy showed up, what would happen to Woody? Um, Ariel, what if she had an opportunity? What if she loved the, the other world? wanted to be a part of their world and had an opportunity to become part of their world. Um, Beast. What if um, love, true love was the only thing that broke the curse and a girl came into the castle. And then Judy Hobbs. What if she had to work with the kind of person that she has a prejudice against? we will talk a little bit more about that later, but that's what happens with her and um, Nick Wilde. All right. Out of that. I'm going to go on a tiny bit of a tangent, and this is going to really help you. When you are working on your premise and your idea, it is imperative that you write what you know, that you find what is unique about your, about yourself that you can implement into your story. I cannot stress that enough. Here's why. Over the last two weeks, we have talked so much about authenticity. There's nothing more authentic to you than you. If you can take a piece of yourself and pour it into your story, then truth will come out of your story. Not only that, it will be easier to write. I promise you that. There is a reason that Pete and Penelope live in a treehouse, that their whole world happens uh, within the woods and their imagination, and their world is all within the forest. It's because I grew up in Louisiana, and every day we played in the woods. Um, Treehouses, creeks, kind of you name it, anything that you can think of in regards to Louisiana, that was my world growing up. That's why... uh, That my childhood is impacting everything within their world. There is a reason that Pete is a lot like Andrew Dale, my friend, because Andrew Dale and I used to live together. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. We have worked together for a thousand years. I know Andrew Dale really well. So when I write for Pete, I can think about how Andrew is. Um. that's enough of an example. you get you get where I'm coming from. Uh, I think when you try to and this might be difficult for you guys writing for some of the characters that you didn't create. Could be, might not be. But I think when you try to write outside of what's real to you, um, you begin to write dialogue and scenes. That you think other people will like and because you don't care about them that much there's going to be a disconnect there and it's going to be harder for you to pull out the truth and thus it's going to be harder for people to enjoy them all right i think that there's a reason that toy story is so good because it's pixar's original film they came up with those ideas together if you watch any documentaries you can see how much they love toys it reminds them of their childhood uh a a lot of the toys are directly from those guys childhood there's a reason that cars does so well john lasseter loves cars if you go back he's a big uh uh uh, train buff and so if you go back and watch anything about those guys you're going to see where that's pulled out of pete doctor talks about inside out and how riley's growth is a direct representation of his preteen daughter who he began to he began to see that she, as she got older, she began to become more insecure. And if you watch Riley, you can see how Riley is dealing with insecurities, like the class laughing at her when she cries, that sort of thing, or when she's new and then she cries, that whole thing. So I can't stress that enough, writing what you know. Uh, if you are in a city, I'll just say, if you're in a situation where you're writing something that you really that isn't really authentic to you, then you're either going to have to make the decision to push forward for the good of the job, or you're going to have to come up with another way to make it authentic to you, or suggest a character that might that you might have a little bit of an easier time writing for. Does that make sense? Okay, moving on. Uh, all right. So number one, we said it. Play the Y game idea and premise. Number two, I lay out my story structure. I've made a decision that I'm going to use Pete. I've made a decision. We obviously know what the theme is. I've made a decision on what our premise is. It's on the story structure. I don't have to talk about this long. We did a whole workshop on story structure. The reason I bring it up is because it's a must. If we say that an actor's Bible is the script, then we have to say that our writer's Bible is the story structure. It's imperative. If you don't sit down and write out a story structure or an outline before you begin writing, you're going to lose your true north. It's easy to sit down and begin to write and just and and have a great time writing and just find yourself moving forward. And then when you're done, realize that you're really far off the target, whether it be uh, an emotional connection or the theme or just, you know, the story has gone in a direction that you never intended in the first place. If you don't write that story structure down, you're not going to be able to go back to it and look and see where you wanted to end in the first place. If you do, it's going to help keep you uh, going the right way, going the way that you made a decision in the first place. It doesn't mean that you can't be writing and go back and say, you know what I think would be better for the story structure or the, or the, uh, the story spine is to go this way. You can do that. I do that all the time. It happens regularly. But you got to have a starting point. I think that's imperative. That way you can go back to it. It also, additionally, will help you guys just in regards to as you're learning to write, working with um, your supervisors and saying, hey, this is my premise. Okay, write me a story structure. Write me a story spine. Great. Here's the story spine. Okay, awesome. Move on from there. You guys are, you know, you don't have all the time in the world, so you guys are charting along together all along the way. With that, though, the addition that we can make Uh, that we didn't specifically talk about in the first workshop is expanding on your story structure. So you're using your story spine, but uh, this is going to be a good time. We're actually getting into the writing now. So this is a good time where we can expound on it. How can we expound on it? By moving to number three, working on tension and character arc. This is something new, guys. So this is going to be really fun to talk about. Hey, man. Uh, Number three. Okay. So. Obviously, we've talked a lot about progressive complications. What we started with tension, we started talking about the inciting incident. Now we're talking about uh, progressive complications coming in after that. Those are the biggest points of tension that we're going to have within our story. So you've come up with a premise for your script. You have uh, written out a story spine or an outline. Now it's time to expound, expand on your outline, your story spine. And the way you do that is by introducing tension and in a character arc. The easiest way, the most significant way that you're going to introduce tension is by taking away your character's idol. We've talked about this. What's their identity? What's driving their decisions? Your job is to put your character in a situation that threatens to take away that which they value the most. Whatever their identity is in, snatch it from them. Let's go to the next one. Take away their idol and their vulnerability is exposed. All right? So, okay, so let's take a moment to stop and think. All right. At its bare bones, the script that I'm writing is... Bringing a character in, identifying the thing that they value the most, and then taking it away. Pete, what's he value the most? Fun. He doesn't want to miss out on fun. So he takes this sled. What I introduced to that sketch potentially takes that fun away. Where did you get that? Uh, He's got to have an answer. It's not his. If I catch him or call him out, potentially he's going to have to send that away. That that makes him vulnerable. So we look at, um, well, before we get to that, let, let's talk about this. Why is vulnerability important? Because the best way to connect with characters is through their vulnerability. Uh, Matthew Lund said that. He's the guy I told you about. He's a Pixar vet tw- there for 20 years. The list goes on and on. of Pixar films that he's worked on as a story supervisor, uh, Toy Story is included, uh, although I think he worked as an animator on Toy Story. So... The best way to connect with our characters is through their vulnerability. When we snatch that thing away from them, their idol, their identity, then suddenly they're vulnerable. So let's look at the characters that we've looked at over the last few weeks. We've talked about this. Woody. What is the thing we take away from him? His position. Beast. What is the thing that we take away from him? Control. We talked about that before. I would say, and I, uh, I was telling you guys at the beginning that even this has been a learning experience for me. And I think this is important. This is important to say as well. Regularly, this happens as I am studying story, watching movies, kind of dissecting them in my brain, trying to figure out what's the what's the what's the what's the tension here. What is this character after? I find myself learning new things about the characters all the time. Uh, Finding that I, uh, what's the way to say it, that, that what I thought about a character before, maybe I was wrong about it. Um, whereas before, I was telling you last week that at one point I thought, you know what I think the beast's idol is? I think it's, I think it's uh, anger. But then I thought, no, that's not really, it's not, it can't be anger, it's got to be more than that. And so I said, you know what, I think it's control. I think it might be more than control. I think deeper. I think it's deeper than control. I think what it is, which maybe is everyone, I think it's him. I think he's his idol. Because if you look at the beginning of Beauty and Beast, you find an incredibly selfish individual. And uh, someone who is less fortunate than him comes to him, needs something. He's so into himself. He's not interested in helping them out. And out of that, he is cursed. All right. So perhaps even throughout the movie, uh, whenever Belle won't do what he says, or have supper with him, or whatever the thing is he's requesting she's not a part of. Maybe he feels so disrespected, that's where the anger comes out of. And or that's where the, the 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 anger towards the loss of control comes out of. You don't understand what I mean? I, I'm saying all that to specifically say, I think it's up for debate often. I think that whoever wrote the story has a clear idea of what it is. But I think regularly you could say. Let's have a conversation about it. I love having conversations like that where you can say, I think it's this. I think it's this thing. I think it's this thing. Or maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as saying, you know what really resonates with me? His lack of control, his loss of control. What re- resonates with me is selfishness. I say all that to say, I think, um, uh, I think those are good conversations. And I think it's okay if you feel like, have the permission to say, I think it's this. I'm not exactly sure, but I think it is this. It's just a little bit... Knowing that helps me because I thought regularly, man, if I can't get it the first time, I don't know what I'm doing. Or I don't understand story or maybe or, uh, other guys uh, are, are smarter than me when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, but I don't think that's the case. Judy Hopps here. Um, I, I've been reading a lot about Zootopia recently. I told you guys that what she's after is significance. I think that's true. I do think she's after significance. But I think one of the things that she deals with is a prejudice against people who aren't like her. When you look at Judy Hopps' story, you see her being someone who was made fun of. Other people had a prejudice against her, but she's like, I'm a bunny. I can be a cop even though you say I can't. And then what does she do? She holds a prejudice against Nick because, why? It's the other way around because he's a fox and he's a predator and he could be no good. And then what happens? What if what if a bunny had to be in a situation where she worked with a fox? You know, that's the premise of their film right there. Um Sorry, I lost my place a little bit because I got off talking about uh, the beast. Where are we? We are talking about uh, their vulnerability is exposed. The best way to connect with characters is through their vulnerability. And the best way to connect with, uh, I'm leaving Ariel to last. The best way to connect with Ariel is she, um, she becomes vulnerable when she, when she loses all the stuff that means so much to her. Uh, you remember, you got to think back to when you're a kid and watch the Little Mermaid, the last time, basically King Trident finds out that she's got all this stuff from the other world, and he destroys it. She becomes very vulnerable in that moment, to the point that she's willing to give up her voice to be part of their world. I keep saying part of their world on accident, but it's a super, super crazy pun. Let's look at Pete. So Pete, what does he do? It's smaller. It's a smaller deal. It's not an animated film, and, these are for, and it's for preschoolers. But how does he become vulnerable? He becomes vulnerable by lying. So he doesn't want to lose his fun, and when I say, where did you get that? His fun is at stake, Uh, so I make up a story. Now, intentionally, in the short, I don't make a big deal out of lying, but it could have, could have been a big thing, could have made that the theme. Instead, I tried to make it sound like he was kind of joking, and it wasn't that big a deal because I wanted to get to the main theme. All right. So that's it. All that communicates to us is that taking away our character's idol um, exposes their vulnerability. Now, something we haven't talked about, character arc. And this is huge. All right. This is a huge part of your script. What even is a character arc? Here it is right here. The transformation or the inner journey of a character Over the course of a story. Leave it here right now. I want to talk about it one more time. Character arc. Your character has to have an arc from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. If they don't, your story is going to suck. I'll tell you why in a second. I'm going to say this one more time. The character arc. The transformation or the inner journey. Everything is inside of a character over the course of your story. Next slide. The character begins as one sort of person. And by the end of the story has transformed into a different sort of person. They have transformed into a different sort of person in response to their experience. The ultimate goal for you in your script, in your storytelling, is to present a change in your character. Your character has to grow in one direction. Your character has to move. That means that when you sit down to write, you have to have established what you'd like your character to value by the end. All right? I told you this at the very beginning. Stories are nothing more than change. You have to begin at one point, end at the other. David... In the story of David and Goliath, I'll talk about that here in a second. Let's look at these guys. Let's look at the character arc that they all have. Woody, super simple. He goes from thinking there's not enough room for everybody to thinking and knowing there's enough room for both of us. I'll talk about this one in a minute. Beast goes from it's all about me to it's all about us. Judy goes from It's really similar, I guess. You could say she goes from It's really similar to so many of us, I think. Um I think she goes from a selfish mentality where it's her way or the highway or that things need to be done a certain way to saying that there is, that there is room for all of us. I think you would probably say she goes to a situation of total acceptance, which is what I think is dangerous about that film, depending on the way that you're using it. But Okay, this is a better way to say it. She goes from a prejudice mentality to an, accept, an accepting mentality, right? A prejudice, to get, a prejudice against Nick to an acceptance of someone who is different. And you can kind of see where that's headed there. Ariel. I was thinking about this. What is Ariel's growth? I thought, so I read, I read up on it, reminding myself of the story of The Little Mermaid. At the very beginning... She wants something to be part of their world. She wants the human world. She gathers all these items because they make her feel closer to the human world. Then she loses those things, and then she uh, puts herself out there and loses her voice so that she can be part of the human world. And then after that, uh, you know, she's not married, she's not getting married to Eric and then ursula is cuz ursula's tricking her and turns ursula turns herself into a you know a, a girl who has ariel's voice then at the end ursula's found out and then king trident comes out and he's and so so ariel is going to ariel didn't do what she was supposed to do so she becomes one of those little crazy little tiny people she loses her soul and trident says you can have my soul and so ariel comes back and then who's in charge ursula and then Eric comes, and it's an incredible ending. It's an incredibly simplistic ending when you think about it. It like he just stabs her with a boat. It's really not that great. So I was like, man, what did she learn? Like, what did Ariel really learn? I thought, maybe she learned to try? Go after your dreams? Well, she kind of already wanted to go after her dreams. Did she learn that just because they wanted her to be a mermaid and in that kind of world that she didn't have to be? Not really. She kind of already didn't want to like, be in that world. Here is what I propose. I propose the story is not even about Ariel at all. I don't think she has a character arc. I think King Triton has a character arc. I think that's who the film is about, even though he's not in it that much. Because think about it. What does he do? He says, Ariel, you're a mermaid. You'll, you live your life like a mermaid. And then at the end, he sacrifices himself so that she can live. And then at the very end, when Ursula is killed, what does he do? He gives her legs and lets her leave. So he gives her sacrificially. He goes from, from this, um, oh, what I can't think of what a good word would be, but he goes from this really like, uh, he goes from this view of you have to be what you were created to be to, You could be this, you know, there's gotta be a better way to say that, but you get kind of get the idea. Um, that's a character arc. That's change. I don't know if I see any change in Ariel. Honestly, the more I think about it, the more I think that she's really selfish and kind of a brat. Um, and she's a, you know, a teenager. So maybe that's the case. Guess follow. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's what we're looking for in a character arc. The ultimate goal is to present a change in your character. Establish what you'd, so yeah. So establish what you'd like your character to value. At the end, I think Woody values loyalty, you know, loyalty to Buzz, loyalty to Andy. There's room for all of us. I think that's really cool. So, all right. So we've talked about the story structure, identifying your attention in your character arc. Um, I think we all understand what a character arc is. And now we move on to number four, which is really, really important. Freaking write. Sit your butt in the chair and start writing. Take all the tools that you've been given Shut your door, put on your headphones, go to your car, whatever it takes, write. Here's the deal. Regarding writing, your greatest nemesis is procrastination. I talked about this before. Sit down, sit your butt down, turn Facebook off, put your your phone on airplane mode, put your computer, uh, turn the Wi-Fi off, get off Facebook, delete games, delete Instagram. I'm serious, guys. This stuff will kill your writing. Conversely, if your greatest nemesis is procrastination, your greatest ally is put your freaking butt in the chair. It's your butt. Your greatest ally is your butt. Here's what, here's what Stephen King says. Amateurs sit and wait for inspiration. The rest of us just get up and we go to work. You can plan all you want, but until you actually start writing, you're just talking. It is exactly what I was talking about. How many times do we hear someone say, man, i got this great idea? Great, do it. They never do it. That's the difference between them and us. We actually do it. We have an idea, we sit down, and we flush it out. After I write, I do this. Number five, I rewrite, and I do it on repeat. All right, so you got to think about it like this. Your first draft, get it out as fast as you can. Why? Because it sucks. That's what it is, guys. Your first draft is crap. My first draft is crap. Our first draft is always crap. There's good things about it, usually, but for the most part, we want to get it on paper completely as quickly as we can so that we can start rewriting it so we can start working on it. What do I do from that point? Second draft, I tighten. Third draft, I tighten. Here's the deal. This is the best thing that I ever learned about writing, and it's not even by a real person. Don't use seven words when four will do. Who's that by? A fictional character named Rusty Ryan, played by Brad Pitt on Ocean's 11. If you remember Ocean's 11, they're talking about, uh, he's he's given Matt Damon this tip about how to I don't know how to how to con a dude and he just says don't use seven words when four will do uh it's beautiful it's kind of like this you guys are going to love this one Stephen King says when your story is ready for a rewrite which is after you do your first draft cut it to the bone get rid of every ounce of excess fat this is going to hurt revising a story down to the bare essentials is always a little like murdering children but it must be done which is really weird murdering children must not be done, but rewriting must be done. I almost didn't put that in there, but I thought you guys would like it. It's, funnier, it's, by King. it's also funny. Yeah, it's by Stephen King. Um, it must be done. Here's the example. I, I, I was thinking about this. Like, what does it really look like to rewrite? All right, I can tell you guys rewrite all day long, but an example would help you more. Okay, so let's go to this one. All right, you guys can't see this as well, but I can, I'll just read it to you. All right, this over here, Is a very small part of Peach Short. This is where it started originally. All right? Everything yellow is what I cut out by the final draft. All right? I'm gonna read you this, uh, the original draft. This is the part where, oh, this is the part where he gets to the mountain and the snowman uh, drops him. So, Pete says, then he gets to the edge of the mountain and he's running with me in his hand but then he tripped and the snow monster fell and he loses me and accidentally throws me over the cliff toward the ground. I'm falling through the air and I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? And then, and and then a giant snowbird flew down with his big claws he grabbed me with his beak but he wasn't eating me, he was rescuing me and he sat me down right next to the sled and the bird said, ride that home to safety That's okay it's fine, It's good, we get the point this is what it looks like to rewrite, to sit down and cut everything out. Go back to that Stephen King quote, if you don't mind, Justice. Back to what he said, not the first part. When you're No, no, yeah, there we go. Well, that other one's good too. Uh, yeah, there we go. When, you're, when your story is ready for rewrite, cut it to the bone. Cut out everything that you don't need. Why? That's what I was talking to you about the other th- the other day. I mean, I'm talking about, I have two words here. Could one word work? Would one word get the point across? Let's go back to Pete's thing. We've said all that. Here's where it ended up. And he trips and falls and he throws me off the mountain and I'm falling through the air like, ah, that's, I took these one, two, three, four, five lines and, and condensed them down to two. And then out of nowhere, a giant um, snowbird comes and grabs me out of the air, grabs me with his beak and flies me down to safety from four lines down to three. And the snowbird gives me the sled and says, ride this home to safety. Look at these last two lines. Originally, it said, and he sat me down right next to the sled. What it ended up being was, and the snowbird gives me this sled. And let me back up here. And he sat me down right next to the sled, and the bird said, I cut all that down too, and the snowbird gives me this sled and says. The difference here that I'm trying to communicate is that it's at this point, it's all in the tiny details. Is there a way that I can take this 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 words and, and condense it? I get it down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, Nine words. I go from 14 words to nine words. And it's easy to say, Adam, that's five extra words. Yeah, it's five extra words. Five extra words that apparently are not necessary, do not communicate more, and potentially lose my audience's interest. 100% of the time, if someone sends me a script and says, would you look at this for me? 100% of the time, I, I, I respond back and say, it's too long. For some reason, we just have this propensity to just write things far too long. It takes so much more time to tighten, tighten, tighten. When we're working on scripts up on the third floor, what are we typically doing? Just tightening, tightening as much as we can. Kids on the move, kids on the move live. The final script that we would use, that's the 10th or the 11th script. Look, I realize we don't always have time. The weekend, we never had time for 11 scripts. Big events, we did. Weekend, we had time for third or fourth edition of the script, anything I can do to tighten, I'm after that, all right? Is that a good example? Does that help you understand exactly what we're trying to It's It's in these little things. I mean, just look, this whole line is cut right here. And I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm just like, what I'll do is I'll just go through this and I'll be like, do I need this line? I don't think so. I think I could say I'm falling through the air and, and then a giant snowbird flew down. I'll tell you, a really good practice is if you're trying to figure out what you can lose, just delete the line, read it through, and see if you miss anything. Are there any action steps? Is there anything confusing? Did you miss anything? Or is there, did we have trouble? Did we go from point A to point C? If you didn't, if you went from point A to point B and you lost that line, get rid of it. All right. I've talked about that enough. I'm a little passionate about that. All right. So where are we? Um... All right, and then from there, here's what Stephen King says, write with the door closed, rewrite with the door open. We've talked about this. Who is your brain trust? You're looking for people who are creatively honest individuals interested in not just the best idea or interested in the best idea and not their own voice winning. I'm going to say that one more time. You're looking for, these are the people you want in your brain trust, creatively honest individuals interested in the best idea not their own voice. They're not interested in their own voice simply winning. What did I do Oh. Yeah. Guys, if you don't have at least one person in your brain trust, it's time to start asking God to, to bring someone to you. It's easily one of the single greatest tools resources that a writer can have, that once they're rewriting, they read it to someone um, who can give them honest feedback. I would much rather read it to Andrew or Chris and have them shoot it down, which has happened. And it doesn't always feel great. I'd rather one of those guys shoot it down than all the kids and kids on the move or all the people in the main auditorium shoot it down. Uh, Wednesday night did first Wednesday shout outs. I did all my shout outs for Chris and Angie before I did them on stage. I would much rather than, and oh, here's what happened. Chris said, it's too long. I got really bored right in the middle. It's like five shout outs. I would much rather that happen there than happen in the auditorium and everybody be super bored, right? Doesn't feel great in the moment. Felt way better in the auditorium because I've done that. All right. Brain trust is imperative. Number six. So number five was I rewrite on repeat. Number six is when I'm not writing, I'm reading and I'm watching and I'm studying. All right. If you don't have time to read, you don't have time. You don't have the time or the tools to write. It's as simple as that. I've quoted him a lot, but that's a Stephen King quote. Here's the deal. When I'm there's a couple things I think about this. When I'm not writing, I am reading from my favorite authors. I'm watching my favorite shows and shows from my favorite writers. Here's what I'm not doing, reading or watching anything, just anything. I made a decision a long time ago that I, if I want to be a creative individual, and if I want to be a writer, and if I want to be a good storyteller, I'm not letting bad storytelling into my soul, my mind, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't want. This is a real example of. For a season, I watched. It's a terrible show, but I watched uh, Supergirl. That show is not written well. It's not good. It's not interesting. And I'm not exactly. The only reason I watched this because I like superheroes. That's it. And I just thought, oh, this is nice. It's a little bit of a different take. Like, there's not a lot of female superheroes. I watched it, and I would just sit there and think, this is terrible. This all. It's on. It's on CBS. There's nothing good about this. I'm not going to watch this anymore. And I stopped. And so now I only watch shows that are really good. If somebody says, hey, you should watch this show, and I don't know what kind of shows that they like, I ask them, what are some other shows that you like? And if the shows that they like I've seen and they're really good, they're well-written, I'll be like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And if the first episode isn't well-written, I don't watch it anymore. The people who have really good taste in writing – that tell me about shows, I put those on my list. Uh, I read books by authors who I trust and I really, really enjoy. C.S. Lewis is my favorite author. Aaron Sorkin is my favorite television writer. Those are the, That's the stuff that I watch. Aaron Sorkin, he wrote The West Wing. I liked The West Wing. I found it a long time ago when it was on television. I looked up everything else that he had ever written and I watched it all. I studied it. I took his master class. I uh, read anything that he, that he writes. He's written letters just on, online, and I read those. I'm after the good stuff. I'm only interested in the good stuff. Podcasts, I'm only interested in the good ones. The ones where the storytellers are good, that they have been um, uh, vetted by me and other people that I really trust. All right? Um, I don't watch crap because I don't want it to come into my writing. Clear and simple. And then, as far as books and podcasts, I thought I could wrap it up by telling you the ones that I like. I've given you guys resources every single week, um, but here's some new ones. On the books Jim Henson, a biography. It doesn't get more muppety than that. Uh, it's by Brian J. Jones. I really like him. I think he's a great writer. Uh, he does a lot of biographies. Uh, it tells the history of Jim Henson. Uh, I listened to it on Audible, Audible, uh, audiobook. It's killer. Uh, Stephen King, I referenced him a lot because he has a killer book on writing. It's called On Writing. And then Brian J. Jones also wrote a book uh, about George Lucas, who wrote Star Wars and um, produced Indiana Jones and them. Uh, those movies, that trilogy, and uh, I'm in the middle of that right now. Podcast. There's three great podcasts. Well, two great podcasts and one okay podcast. Um, the Animation Network podcast. A uh, guy on California who works at Cartoon Network. He does a great job every month, uh, maybe more. He interviews, his name's Chris Wimberly. He interviews um, people who work within television animation storyboard artists, showrunners, directors, um, voiceover artists. Uh, Anybody who works in animation, uh, from Disney to Nickelodeon to Cartoon Network and all in between, Pixar Podcast uh, is a great podcast where the guy interviews um, Pixar people. Pete Doctor, Matthew Lund, uh, uh I don't think he's ever. I don't think he's ever interviewed John Lasseter, but uh, Andrew Stanton, who did Wally, e uh, Brad Bird, uh, people, uh, other people that work within the. Uh, studio and then the Kidmin podcast, which is my podcast, but it's extremely relevant for you guys because I do talk about uh, kids on the move a lot. Um, the first we're on season one right now. The first half of the season are interviews with other children's ministry leaders from around the world. Uh, guys from Hillsong, um, uh, oh who else? Orange. Um, uh, Yancey, my good friend Yancey uh, Dan DeBell, perhaps you've heard of him uh, then Andrew, Andrew Dell and I do a couple on uh, creating games and sharing stories within your service and currently right now you would be bored because it is a uh, it's a crash course in storytelling because it it's this it's this one right here, so this won't be on the podcast in a couple months um, so that's it, um, yes and that's it, all the pages are done, all four pages of my outline are all finished and that concludes your All Amazing Writers. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope it helped a lot. If you want to reach out to us, visit theambushgroup.com. The thing that makes all of this possible, of course, you can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Ambush Group. If you want to email us, info at theambushgroup.com. And if you would like to support this podcast, visit patreon.com slash thekidmen.com podcast. That'll help us make future episodes of the podcast. It's been awesome hanging out and we'll see you next time.